bit of our history. Um, we've heard um, from Keith uh, just his appreciation and thankfulness as well um, for the church. And as I look out over this room, um, it's, uh, my heart is full in just uh, gratefulness um, for this journey that we have been on together. And if you're a first-time visitor this morning, like, oh, what is all this? Well, um, we'd love for you to be a part of this. Uh, we won't do this again. I don't know, for another five years at least um, or so. Probably those that have organized this are like, yeah, can we push that out to ten more years again? But anyway, um, <clears throat> but uh, it, we're glad that you're here if you're a visitor with us this morning just to hear a little bit um, about our heart. You know, the Scripture speaks about that, that God has purpose for His people, works that they are to do. Let me just remind us, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it comes out of this this text about and these verses about that salvation is not our work, it's a work that God has done. And so um, at the tail end of that, before um, Paul goes into um, some new thoughts in, in Ephesians 2, he has these words and he, he writes, we are God's workmanship. So God's handiwork is upon us. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, to do good things. Not to earn salvation because we cannot do that, we know that. God grants salvation, but because salvation has come to us, we walk in the truth of his word. And he says, which God has prepared beforehand. So God thought ahead and he thought, I, I've got a purpose and plan for those who know me. I've got a purpose and plan for those who gather together as believers. And I purpose this beforehand that they should walk in them. And I th- have thought much this week and over really, I guess, since we have been planning this and and a lot this week just about the things that we have accomplished together and the things that God has done. <clears throat> and I think all of these were prepared beforehand by God in His sovereignty. And I think we have done a good job of being faithful and obedient to those, not perfectly, um, because you know that there's no perfect church, right? You know that. So you could get mad and you could go somewhere else and, and you're going to find stuff at that church that's not perfect as well because... Uh, you don't have a perfect pastor? Any amens? Amen. Amens, okay. Well, I don't have a perfect congregation that I lead either. So amen. I say amen, all right? So since none of us are perfect, um, it's, it's good to do what Keith reminded us of a while ago. You stay here. Family stays. And family learns to work through things. And because of that, God, in time, over time, you can look back and there's a story that is incredibly beautiful that God um, has done. So just a reminder this morning, we celebrate 10 years today. We are not to live in the past, but we are to reflect upon the past, to have impact on today, because it's today's decisions that make the future. We can't do anything back there. Um, I don't know if your life's this way. If I could go back and have some do-overs, would you not do some things over? I would absolutely go back to some of the side trails that I've taken in my life, and I would do some things over. I can't do anything about that. None of us can do anything about that. But we have today. We have decisions that we can make today, and those decisions that we make today have a great impact on the future. And that's why decisions are so um, important. Before we get to Joshua 1 this morning, um, Joshua 1, the story of it, actually begins in Genesis 12. So I want you to look with me in Genesis 12 just for a moment. There's a guy named Abram. Uh, he's living in a place, and God shows up and speaks to him. And Abram uh, was not a guy 
uh, who had it all together. As a matter of fact, he was an idol worshiper. He was not one that worshipped God, wasn't interested in God, didn't even know anything that we know of about God. But God intervened in his life one day, and he gave him a promise. Look with me in Genesis 12, verse 1. It says, Now the Lord God said to Abram, Go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And here's what I'm going to do as you go. I'm going to make of you a great nation. I will bless you. And I'm going to make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This must have been an amazing moment. Abram, like his father, was an idol worshiper. He wasn't a worshiper of Yahweh. He wasn't interested in God. And God one day just intervened in his life and said, I am calling you to know me. And as I call you to know me, I'm going to do something unique with your life. I'm going to make from you a great nation. What's even more interesting about this encounter in Genesis chapter 12 is that Abram and his wife were very old. They had not had any children. And God was going to do something that would show I am God and I'm sovereign and I can do whatever it is that I want to do because I've got the power to do it and everything that I do is good. And so God calls this idol worshiper who is old and, he, and his wife is old. He says, listen, I'm going to make of you a great, great nation. And for centuries, the descendants of Abraham had anticipated the possession of this land that God had promised in Genesis chapter 12. He had promised it in covenant, and he had later reiterated this promise and this covenant through his sons Isaac and Jacob. The book of Joshua that we will come to today, you might as well go there, Joshua chapter 1, is a historical narrative of the fulfillment of what God promises in Genesis chapter 12. It shows that God is one who keeps his word. It is a story of God's faithfulness, how God calls people to trust in what he says. And sometimes they have to trust for hundreds of years, and eventually they do have to trust for hundreds of years until God brings about the fulfillment of this. So here's the story of Joshua. Genesis 12, God promises to make this great nation. It takes a long time for them to eventually get to the place where they enter the land and they become this great people that God has purposed um, for them. So it's the story of God's promise and his fulfillment of it. It's also the story of the people of God wrestling with, walking in faithfulness to the faithful God and the faithful promises that he has made. And so by the time you get to Joshua, you've got five books They are historical in nature, but they are instructive in nature as well as to how the people of God are to live their lives. And so let me just remind us, we have five books that Moses wrote, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Let me remind us, because when you get to Joshua chapter 1 that we're going to look at here in just a moment, it's the fulfillment of these five books and what God is doing to prepare his people to enter into the promised land. In Genesis, Israel was born as a nation called out. Um, elected, called out by God. Um, it's the election of the nation. In the call, he, he tells them, I have promises for you. You're going to be my unique people. You're going to be the special people. In Exodus, 
They are in slavery and been in bondage, and they've been so for 400 years. God uses Moses to deliver the people out of Egypt across the Red Sea, and God gives them his law as they are there. So we see in Genesis this election of the nation. We see in Exodus we see the redemption of the nation. Then you got this book called Leviticus, and sometimes we read Leviticus and going, what in the world? It's craziness that God's telling. Well, what do you do with a whole nation of people who've been living in bondage for 400 years? Well, they need some instruction as to how, how do I relate to this holy God that has rescued me out of slavery? And so you have in Leviticus, you have the sanctification of the nation where God gives them instructions and saying, I'm a holy God, this is how you relate to me. And that's the purpose of the book of Leviticus, saying, I'm holy, here's how you relate to me as I'm bringing you into the promised land. You come to Numbers, and the nation tested God in Numbers. And there's a lot of stories in there, so they're, they're counted. But there's also lots of stories there where they tested God. And Numbers becomes the theme of this chastisement of a wandering nation with instruction to say this to them, don't rebel against me because I don't tolerate sin and I don't tolerate rebellion. You come to the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book that Moses wrote, and it's the second time God gave the law. Moses is reminding the people one last time before they enter into the promised land um, that they would have the promised land. It would be theirs. They would continue to be his people, that God will fulfill his promise. And so you have the essential instruction of the nation right before they go into the promised land. They are going to possess the promises that God had given them. We talk about this all the time here in the church. The Old Testament is a, is, is, is a precursor of the New Testament. And there is much in the Old Testament that is validated in the New Testament with a fresh perspective. <clears throat> Two books that have a lot in common with them is the book of Joshua and the book of Ephesians. So God promises the nation every step, and we'll see this here in a moment, every place you place your foot in the promised land, I'm giving you that. I promised it to you. Every place you put your foot, um, it is yours. In the book of Ephesians, because we are in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. So there's a land of Canaan that was physical that God promised to the nation, and now there's a spiritual kingdom in the New Testament, for those of us who know Christ, that every spiritual blessing that is connected to Christ is ours. Every bit of it. We, he doesn't withhold things from us, but it is ours. And so he promised this nation, I'm giving you every square inch of this land that I said that I'm going to give you. So every place you place your foot, Joshua, this land is yours. Now, New Testament, we are in Christ. Everything that Jesus is, we get and we get to experience and we get to live in that. And so there's a beauty that is connected um, to this. And so this book affirms that God is faithful and that God calls his people to be faithful. Moses dies right before they enter into the promised land. And God tells Moses in Deuteronomy 34, listen to these words. Uh, Moses had made some mistakes. And so God said, listen, you're not going to get to enter into the promised land, but I'm going to let you see it from afar. And so in Deuteronomy 34, 1, it says, And Moses went up um, from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite of Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh. By the way, as he's seeing this, they're not called this yet. The tribes will come in and they will settle those places. But 
But Moses here somehow knows that and is writing the story and, 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 and gets it even though they're not there. In all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to Moses, this is the land which I swore to Abram, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to your offspring. And I, will let, I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. Because he's going to be gone. He said, but I promise you, I'm going to give this land to the nation. All right, look with me in, in Joshua chapter 1. What I'd like to do this morning is I want to show the faithfulness of God. And then I'm going to tell some stories about LifePoint as well um, as we kind of go through here. That I think as I, as I prayed this week about text to be able to share on our 10th anniversary, I thought this one was very fitting. For 40 years, they've been walking in circles in the desert, and now they're ready to move on. And not saying that we've been walking in circles, but um, it, this is a story about moving into a future, moving into days ahead of great promise from the heart and the hand of God. So let's read verses 1 and 2. Actually, let's just read all of it, and then we'll kind of walk through. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. And from the wilderness and from this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. So be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do all of, to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. And this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now watch this. These first verses here is God speaking to Joshua. Now Joshua is going to get the instructions. He's going to tell them to the people. And at the end, the people are now going to speak to Joshua. So let's see what Joshua told the people. Verse 10. So Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God has given you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the Lord, remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord, is, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help, help them. Until the Lord gives you rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God has given them. And then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. 
the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered, so the people speak now to Joshua. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. All right. Let me walk through, and this will scare you, eight things. Okay, they'll be brief. I promise they'll be brief. Eight things that he instructs this nation about that I think these eight things are important for us as we celebrate 10 years together. So God's faithfulness has always been with the people regardless of their response. They were not always faithful. That's why they wandered around for 40 years. They didn't embrace what God said to them. And because of that, God punished the parent generation of this generation that's about to walk into uh, the promised land because their parents did not want to fully trust God. So God said, I'm going to make you wander around and you're going to die in the wilderness. So let's talk about his faithfulness continues. And the first thing that we see in verses 1 and 2 is this, is that we need to see opportunities for a great future. Because God has been faithful, God will be faithful, and his faithfulness today leads to us understanding that there's a great future that can come. Here's a natural response. You have had an incredible leader named Moses. He's led you for 40 years. It's been difficult. Manna in the morning, wandering around, difficulty, children being born in the wilderness, no permanent home. But you have this guy named Moses whom God says was the most humble and meek man in the history of the world. Incredible leader. He is dead. The natural response could have been, what are we going to do? There's no future now. Our, our guy that led us out of bondage, we'd been with him for 40 years, he's gone. And God comes along and says, listen, I don't determine how I work out the future based on you. I determine in how I work out the future based on me. And it doesn't matter that Moses is no longer here anymore. I've got Joshua, and I'm going to use Joshua to bring you into the land. And he's calling Joshua as he speaks here. And he says to them, just because Moses is gone is not a time to think that there's not a great future. As a matter of fact, God has been preparing Joshua for an incredible um, opportunity to do this. For 40 years, Joshua has been his assistant his associate, whatever you want to call him, but he has been with Moses. He goes into the tent with Moses when Moses talks with God face to face, and Joshua watches and he listens to that. Joshua probably was a young man at the time when he became this one who was really key connected with Moses. And so so this could have been a panic moment for Joshua. Okay, man, Moses is gone. I've relied on Moses in my life to speak into my life. He's gone, but I think all of that was done to prepare him. And God tells Joshua here, I'm about to give you 300,000 square miles, and you're going to be the one that I'm going to bring into a great future for my people, my unique people, and I want you to trust me. You see, you and I shouldn't always see death or disillusionment or a loss as an end to all things, but sometimes they are a beginning of things. And I'm just not talking about physical things. I'm just talking about spiritual things as well. That sometimes we need to see them with new, fresh eyes. 
And as believers, when great disappointment comes to us, like the death of Moses, our faith should move us to never have a moment where our letdown keeps us down, but allows us to see that there's a future and there's a purpose. See, God didn't see the demise of Moses as an end to his promises, for his promises are never connected to man. His promises are always connected to himself, and then he uses man to accomplish those things. So first of all, this morning, as we celebrate 10 years, we need to see this as an opportunity to think about a great future. Secondly, verses 3 and 4, because he's faithful and his faithfulness continues, you and I must step out in faith and walk in the promises. And I love what verse 3 and 4 say. Every place, Joshua, that your foot treads upon, I have given you, and it's a fulfillment of what I exactly told Moses I was going to do. So he tells them the places from the wilderness to Lebanon to the Euphrates to land or the, all the way over um, to the great sea um, to the west um, all the way to the east where you see the sun going down. I'm giving you all of this. And so you're going to step into what I have said that I was going to do in Genesis 12, that I was going to make a great nation. I was going to give a land. By the way, Abraham never got to possess the land, never got to possess it. He got to have a tent. And he lived in the promised land in a tent, but he never owned any land. The only land that he ever owned was what he was given by someone else so that he could bury his wife. And so there's, there's not anything that he ever owned. Abram had to see it, Abraham, from a distance as well, this great future that God was going to do something. And by faith, he believed it, though he never saw it. Now we're seeing the fulfillment of it. Joshua, every place that you step, Every step, every place you go, that's going to be the land that I'm giving you. And it was all the way up to the Euphrates and all the things that are mentioned there was 300,000 square miles. It was an incredible thing. And God had allowed hundreds and hundreds of years for people to inhabit the land, to build the cities and to fortify them and to do all that, to eventually bring the people of God in and to walk in. And they had to fight for it as well, but that's always been the case. But you and I need to step out in faith and walk in the promises. So he tells them, listen, I I said I was going to do this, but now it's time for you to step into it. Let me share uh, one verse with you. Um, In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, God speaks to seven churches um, that are in modern-day Turkey. One of those churches um, is the Church of Philadelphia, and he writes these words in Revelation 3.8. He says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you, Philadelphia, an open door, which no one is able to shut. I've opened it up. Nobody can shut it. And here's why. I know that you have little power, he tells the Church of Philadelphia, and yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. And so Jesus telling through John, the church of Philadelphia, he says this, listen, I know you're not big. I know you're little. You don't have this great big budget. You're not crashing down the doors, but I've opened a door for you. And if you will walk into it, I'm going to do great things, though you're small. And here's why I'm going to do great things. You, I'm going to do great things because you've kept my word and you value my name. And that was going to be the key for the nation. It's the key for us. If we will value God's name and we will value God's word and we will keep his word, guess what God does? God opens doors. It's amazing when I think about this church and the things that we've gone through, the place that we have arrived today. This year alone, it's increased since last year. 
We will have about f- a little over 40% of our church will go on some kind of, we'll spend time local missions, uh, national missions, or global missions. 40% of our church. And I, we've talked about this before in our past, and I just want to brag on it, not in a bad, not in an arrogant way. But I share that with some of my pastors. I've got these really big churches, some friends that I know that have, these, they have way bigger churches than us, and we will never be that. And, and they, they, they can't even get 10% of their church to go anywhere. And I think one of the things that God has done in our time here is, is because it's not that those churches don't love God's name, but I think that we have been pretty committed to saying that we are not going to stray from buying into whatever the hottest new thing is that's out there in evangelical land. We're going to stay true to the ancient words, and the ancient words are this, value God's name and walk in his word. And you don't have to be big for God to do great things, correct? Y'all with me? You don't have to be. See, God's looking not for bigness. God's looking for people who see him as big. That's what God's looking for. And that's one of the great things I love about us. So one, we need to see the opportunities for a great future. Secondly, we need to step out in faith and walk in the promises. God, he tells them, listen, every place you step is going to be yours. Thirdly, it's a call to great confidence in God's abiding presence. Look at verse 5 and 6. No man, he tells him, verse 5, shall able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you and I will not leave you nor forsake you. So here's what I want you to do, Joshua. You be strong and courageous for you shall be the one that I'm going to use to cause this people that I promised this land to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. So it's a call to confidence that as they stepped into the promised land, God's telling them this, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. I've led you here, good luck. No, I've led you here, and wherever you step, I'm going to be with you in every step. My presence is not going to leave you. And so Joshua is being called away from the fear of man to focus on the presence of God. And what's always the answer when we're fearful? It's God's presence, always. It's, it's what he says, his promises and his presence. And so he's reminding them, listen, there's going to be men, there's going to be armies, there's going to be cities, they're going to come against you. There's going to be people who make, who make treaties. You'll, Pam and I were talking about this on Friday, um, later on, I think it's uh, chapter 6 or so in Joshua. And there's, these, there's, going, there's going to be all kinds of people that are going to come to you. They're going to say things. They're going to lie. They're going to be truthful. They're going to do all this. And you're going to fight. But I want to, I want to remind you that I'm going to be with you. You're not going to be by yourself. You are not ever going to be by yourself. This is not anything that was untrue that was not spoken to Abraham's descendants. This was said to Jacob, Genesis 28, 15. Behold, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. You remember how the Gospel of Matthew opens up these words? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. You know how how Matthew ends? It ends with these words. And behold, I am with you until the end of the age. Oh, we have a, we have a tarantula. Mark, get us something. <laughs> this is so fitting. You want to get him, take him out? <laughs> there we go. 
This is so fitting. Hello, hang on. Awesome. This is so fitting for us. Yeah, hey, you sitting out there, y'all missed it. Just shut the door, y'all missed it all. Okay, all right. Fred and John are like, what's going on in there? We had a tarantula crawling up here. Kristen, where's Kristen? Kristen's like, what? That is so great. I, I don't know if he's the one. There was one by the front door yesterday, and I moved him away. So anyway, anyway, we like, they are good. All right. Okay, where were we? Okay, let's see if we can get back. Okay, God was calling us to great confidence in his presence, even in the midst of tarantulas. Okay, all right. His faithfulness continues. Here's what I want to do. Yeah, here's where I was. Okay, that's, that's just too funny and fitting. That's so awesome. Um, You can't get that at Prestonwood this morning. (laughs) All right. So Matthew starts with God's going to come in a body and he's going to be God with us. When Jesus ascends to heaven, he says, I want to remind you, I'm going to be with you always. Fourthly, In 7 and 8, he says, you have to move forward always in obedience. You don't move forward because you've got enough money. You don't move forward because you've gotten this or that or whatever the case may be. You move forward always according to God's purposes in obedience. So in 7, he says, only be strong and very courageous. And here's what I want you to do. You be very careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Everything that Moses had written down, that I'd given him to write down, you do this. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. So it's one thing to say to a leader, be strong and courageous. It's another thing to enable him and for him, for that leader to submit to the leadership. And that is exactly what happened with Joshua. God said, I'm going to enable you to do that. And he, but here's what you've got to do. You've got to walk in obedience. People ask me all the time, how do I know if my life is moving in the right direction? And this is the only response I can give you. I can't tell you whether you need to move to another town, you need to take another job. I don't know anything. Here's what I know God's will is. It is to be obedient to his word. That's what I know to be the center of God's will. And if we are obeying what God has told us, then we are in God's will. And sometimes there's freedom in the midst of that to make some of the decisions that we uh, have, have that are placed before us. But what I want to say is just simply this. To move in the right direction is always obedience. It is always obedience, and that's what we as a church have to continue to do. I remember when we landed from Germany in 2008, and most of you didn't even know you. Well, I'd only talked to um, Keith Grissom and Wes and some of those guys that were on the Search team didn't know anybody in this room for the most part even existed that God had made you and uh, we weren't together and here we are 10 years later but I landed uh, and we were living in Amarillo and it's not great when you're you know when you're 43 and you have to move in with your mother-in-law and you don't have a job you don't have a future you don't know what to do and and we were trying to move to the northeast of the country uh, we'd been in Europe for four years, and northeast of the country is more European in its thinking. So I was trying to get a church job in Connecticut or trying to start a church in Connecticut, and nobody wanted me in Connecticut. Nobody was interested at all. I talked to a number of different people and came here one weekend and preached on a Sunday morning at Evans Middle School. And, 
and uh, had a conversation and, and the group of people, Mark and yeah, Mark Donahoe was there, a part of that. And they offered me a job and said, I know you got a family of seven, but we can pay you $1,500 a month. Um, and that may sound like a lot, but in Collin County, you know that $1,500 a month for a family of seven is not a lot. And uh, I said, okay, we'll come. And we just came by faith, and we stepped out in obedience. I knew I was going to have to work another job. And so I did that for eight months. I was at, worked in a call center of a company that uh, um, they, uh, they put uh, phones in prisons so that family members could call their member that's in prison uh, and talk to them on the phone, and I talked to not the inmates, I talked to the people outside, and for eight months, I got cussed out every day, and um, and just, it was good for me to learn what it was like to work in non-church environments, my first non-church job since I was uh, uh, 19 years old, and it was good for me to get cussed out every day, to be reminded, in a good way, (laughs) to be reminded that the world is not safe, there's heartache, and there's anger, and there's resentment and uh here we are and god eventually opened the door but you always move forward in obedience and it didn't make sense back then and maybe it doesn't make sense now that i would take a job like that but i did and i'm glad that i did because here we are and i look in a room and you wouldn't be in my life and i wouldn't be in your life and just sometimes we move out on obedience not knowing what happens and god does some great things fifthly Our moving forward has to always be connected to embracing God's word. Look at 8 and 9. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all that that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you third time? Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's interesting, the book in Deuteronomy um, chapter 31 it says that Moses is finished writing the words of this book. Um, I, th- I think we have mistakenly just said he's only that that's referencing the book of Deuteronomy. Um, I think over time, as they wandered in the desert, that for 40 years, at some point in time of those 40 years, Moses wrote all five, all five books. And I think when we come to the end of Deuteronomy chapter 31 and 24, and it speaks about when Moses had finished writing these things, I think he had finished writing these things. I think he'd written all five books, and it was the conclusion of it. It's interesting that the priests were told to carry this book, which I think comprises the five books that we call the Pentateuch, these first five books here, and they were to keep it with them. But the instruction to Joshua was, you meditate, and you talk about these words. See, Joshua, this word meditate here um, is a word that we get the word mutter. Speak under your breath, mutter, talking. Joshua was, to, Joshua was to talk them. He was to talk to the Word. He was to let the Word talk to him. They were to constantly be on his lips. And if they were on his lips, they would be in his life. And he was to constantly, as he led the whole book of Joshua, you see it, he's an incredible man, Joshua was. And I think Joshua learned what it was like to talk to God. And this is why he learned how to talk to God, because he had watched Moses talk to God. I think outside of Jesus, obviously, nobody had a relationship with God like Moses did. Can you imagine what it was like to be in a tent and God's glory would come down in the tent? And it says that inside the tent, God would speak to Moses. Moses would speak to God like you speak to a friend. So here, God's glory would come down. God and Moses would talk. 
And it tells us in Exodus 33, 7, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And then Moses would turn again into the camp. He would leave the tent. He would go and listen to what the Scripture says. His assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses would encounter God. God and Moses would speak. Moses would leave. Joshua would, I call it lingering moments. He would linger in the tent, I think reflecting on what he had just seen. And now he's leading the nation into the land. And God says, you're going to mutter. You're going to mutter. You're going to meditate. You're going you're to speak constantly, silently and out loud the truth of God's Word. Moving forward has to always be connected to God's Word. Next. We've got to be ready and prepared. 10 and 11, he now speaks to the people. Joshua does. He says, you've got to be ready. You know, Joshua could have said, gosh, it's been 40 years. God, can we just kind of hang out here? God spoke and said, get them ready. He says, hey, people, you've got three days. And we're entering into what God has promised. I don't want to wait. We're, we're heading into what God had said. So he tells the people, you prepare your provisions for within three days you're about to pass over this Jordan to go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Forty years prior to this moment, they were at a place called Kadesh Barnea. And Moses had sent out 12 spies and they had returned. And here they are at Kadesh Barnea, and they come back, and they bring the fruit of the land. They bring back report of all the things that they've seen. They'd seen two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, we can take the land. God's with us. Ten spies influenced the nation and said, too many giants. It's too difficult. The people are too, cities are too fortified. It's too big. And the nation bought into the ten spies instead of the minority report from Joshua and Caleb. And because of the rebellion there, they wandered for 40 years. Now, Moses is dead. Joshua enter into the land. And Joshua says, we're not waiting. Get your stuff together. In three days, we're going. We're going to step into what God had promised. So there's always a call to God's people in the midst of faithfulness to be ready and to be prepared. You see, one of the unique things, too, that what had happened, life in the wilderness was over with. I want you to turn over just for a moment to chapter 5 for a second of Joshua. Look at verse 10. This was going to be a great transition for them. I never ate manna before. I have to eat gluten-free bread now, which may be like that. I don't know. But uh, Joshua 5.10, look what it says. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate, look at this, of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. You see, there gets to a place where the desert diet has to be done away with. And what God has promised, God's people walk into and they eat. Because what had worked in the wilderness was not going to work in the land of blessing. It was a land of what? Milk and honey. And they began to experience it. Number seven, you've got to be all in. I don't have time to go through all of this. They got to <clears throat> the River Jordan. And the land on the east side of the Jordan was lush. Great place to cattle, crops. Two and a half of the tribes said... 
Moses, we want to just stay here. We don't want to enter into the promised land. We want to stay here. Can we stay here? Moses got pretty fired up, Numbers tells us, about their request. What do you mean you don't want to go in to the promised land? We've been wandering for 40 years so that we can get in there. Now y'all want to stay outside? So two and a half the tribe, two and a half tribes, Reuben, Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh decided we want to stay on the east side of the Jordan River and we don't want to live officially inside the promised land. And there was a big to-do about that. Moses had an issue, and finally they said, okay, tell you what, here's what we'll do. Can we live out here, but as y'all go in to settle the land, you've got to fight, we will send our warriors to help fight and settle the land, and we will do that. So Moses decides, okay, I'll agree to that, but I want you to notice this. All through Numbers it says this several times, that that was an agreement Moses made with the people. It was an agreement that God had made with those two and a half tribes. And what eventually happened, because those two and a half tribes decided, you know what, it's kind of nice out here. Let's just stay. And we kind of start settling our life here while the rest of the tribes went inside and had to fight to establish the land. Those two tribes <clears throat> had issues from that moment forward. They were further away from the temple, further away from worship. When invading armies came from the east, always, guess who had to encounter those armies first? Those tribes. The Jordan River was to be a separate. And, and there, there was an aspect of those two and a half tribes that they never were all in. They just never were all in. And I want to encourage us as we mark year 10 to be all in. That we'd be all in. We could call these borderline believers. They lived on the border of the promised land and they experienced some good things. But when the Assyrians eventually came in, guess which two and a half tribes were immediately gone? It was those tribes. Lastly, we've got to embrace a life of full surrender, 16 through 18. So they answered Joshua, all that you've commanded we will do. And they just said, we're, we're in. We're in. We're going to submit to your leadership and we will follow you. I want to close with this, and we've got another video, uh, and then we're going to sing one last song. In 2010, Mike and Caleb Hale and uh, Garrett Straley, myself and Keith Grissom were in Ukraine. We were somewhere, I don't know where it was, somewhere in Ukraine, we were at a camp, and they woke us up during the middle of the night to do some kind of crazy flashlight game, I don't know what it was, and it was the middle of the night, and you had to, I don't know what the, th- I don't know, I kind of couldn't remember it. I needed to ask y'all, I couldn't really remember. I just knew we, were, we woke up. When we got on the plane to come to go to Ukraine that year, we weren't for sure when I got back there would be any money to keep the church doors open. I mean, the bank account, literally, we were just trying to figure out, can, do we have enough money to pay the rent at Evans Middle School next week? So during the middle of the night, that was, I, I don't know, maybe it was a Thursday night, I can't really fully remember, but it was in the middle of the night in Ukraine, and after everything had settled down and everybody had kind of gone back to the dorm, I thought, how in the world am I going to go back to sleep <laughs> after all this noise in the middle of the night? And so there's a soccer field in that camp, and I'm walking around, and I, and I told the Lord that night, I said, Lord, you're going to have to do something, or this church is not going to make it. You've got to do something. So I think that was a Thursday night in the darkness and just praying as I walked around that soccer field. We got back on a Sunday night, 
and uh, I hadn't had a chance to talk with anybody about how things had gone that day. Um, was the offering good? Were, were we going to have enough money to be paid? And as a matter of fact, we actually had money in the bank account, but it was mission money. And one of the things that's unique about our church is um, I will never get paid. Uh, Mark will never get paid. Martha won't with mission money. We've set that aside to God. And, and if that's all the money we got, then we just won't get paid. Um, because, And that's kind of where we were. I think we had about... I don't know, $13,000 in the bank account, but it was mission money that had been set aside. And so um, so I got back on a Sunday night, Monday morning. Um, I'm, I'm at a coffee shop, which was my office in those days. I got a call from a guy named Jeff Nyberg, who was the pastor of a church that owned this property and said, hey, I met you several years ago and don't know where y'all are, um, but uh, we'd like to offer this building to you guys to be able to lease from us. Well, that meant more money <laughs> to get a property, like almost, I think, uh, think about $3,000 more per month rent. Rent. Then you got to pay electricity and all that. And I remember some of you were there. You remember I, we came to you. That was a Monday. Elders, we met out here and, and wives met out here on a Thursday night. We went to the church Sunday morning and said, hey, here's a deal. And for about a month, we prayed and we fasted. We met at the firehouses, have these mo- these rooms, and we met and we prayed. And we had a pledge Sunday. And if we reached a certain amount with the pledges of that we could actually do this, um, we would make it. And, and what happened was we exceeded that, and we've really basically not looked back since. And I look across this room. Raise your hand um, if you came to this church after August of 2010. Raise your hand. Everybody, raise your hand. Just about everybody. Look at that. You're here today because of faithfulness of God and God's people in August of 2010 to say, okay, we want to keep the doors open and we will, we will surrender. We'll surrender. So here we are. Great day. Such a beautiful day. Um, there's no way to get 10 years of pictures together, so we had to do two nine-minute videos. Okay, so anyway... So watch this, and then we're going to close. Amen. Okay, I'm making an executive decision. We're not going to sing. I'm sorry. I apologize. Uh, We'll uh, we'll, uh, we'll do it. I'll do better with my talk uh, the next one. But uh, it's just a visual picture of the things God does. And it just warms your heart. I'm just excited. Um, 5.30, uh, we'll be back here tonight. Um, Anything else we need to say? If you hadn't got your t-shirt, wear your shirt tonight. If you haven't got your shirts, they're out there. If you didn't order one, then we have some. You can buy them, okay? All right, let's pray together and we'll be done. Lord, thank you today for um, just a reminder in Joshua 1 and just these two videos and the testimony of Keith of of just the faithfulness, God, that you have shown us. And and God, um, you are faithful regardless of our response and 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 that's what's so amazing about grace and amazing about who you are that you have been so faithful to us when at times that that God um we we have not been as faithful to you and our passion for you um that we need to but thank you for the reality that you're so different than us thank you that you free us you empower us and as we celebrate um tonight as we gather here and give testimony tonight. Um, we just thank you, God, so much for uh, just the story um, that you have done. 
and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, before you go, just to let you know, tonight we're going to have an opportunity. We're going to, if it doesn't rain today, pray that it doesn't rain today. We're going to meet outside. It'll be an opportunity for you to give testimony of anything that God has done in your life since you've been here. Thank you. God bless. Have a great day.